Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Let's talk about strange academic careers. I want to specifically talk about the academic career that went in a really weird direction uh, by a man named Henry Nouwen. Now, his name has a, an I at the end, and he's Dutch, and so it might be Henry or Henri, but I'm just going to go with Henry because I'm from Florida and not great uh, with Northern European languages besides English. So he was a Dutch Catholic priest who kind of found his ways into the halls of academia. He, was, he studied the intersection between psychology and Christianity, and his first teaching post, out of the gate, first teaching post as soon as he got his doctorate, was at Notre Dame. Not a bad first school to get to teach at. Uh, but Notre Dame was a little bit of a small pond for him, a little bit of not uh, big enough for his brain, and so he was appointed to a tenure-track position at Yale. He taught there at Yale for 10 years uh, and then decided that he needed a break. And when he was done taking a little sabbatical from being a professor, uh, a school said, hey, we'll hire you. And so he went from Notre Dame to Yale to Harvard. This is uh, not a bad resume as far as professors go. Uh, But something happened very strange. After five years of teaching at Harvard, he began to ask himself some questions. He began to ask himself this question. Is my life like Jesus' life? Is what I'm doing like what Jesus was doing? And the answer that he came to in his case was no. And so he stepped down from Harvard. So where would he go? I mean, he's already done Notre Dame, Harvard, Yale. Instead of going to another teaching post, he became the chaplain of a small community in rural Canada called La Arche. I'm not going to try to French that one up either. Um, But he became the chaplain of this small community for the mentally disabled. It is an absolutely a move that we cannot imagine to go from being a tenure-track professor at Yale and at Harvard to the chaplain of a small rural facility for those who have permanent mental disabilities. It's shocking in many ways to us because he lived the rest of his life in this community. He lived the rest of his life pastoring this small community of the least of these. And the fact that someone would set aside all of their power, all of their prestige, and the the chance to shape so many young minds, even in a good direction towards Christ, to become a chaplain in the middle of nowhere to people that couldn't even always put together full sentences boggles our brains. Our Our imaginations don't have a place for a story like this. He's a complete outlier. And the reason why we can't make sense of it, the reason why we hear this story and go, that's strange, that's weird, that's different, is that the idea of advancement and improvement are so ingrained in us that we can't imagine the world in any other way. We're taught from a very young age that our lives are supposed to go up and to the right, that our lives are supposed to constantly be advancing, that we should achieve, we should make as big of an impact as we can. And this has only been sort of magnified by the fact that social media has given people platforms to broadcast all of our thoughts for the world. 
question is, what, what if this isn't what we are made for? What if this life of constant achievement, of improvement, what if that's missing the point? What if making an impact, uh, what if we weren't made to make an impact on the world in bigger and bigger ways? According to the world around us, we are. But here's the sad truth that many of us know. We've tried that path and we found it wanting. Some of you have gotten the promotion that you've wanted and it didn't fix everything in your lives. Some of you have gotten the raise that you wanted and it just wasn't enough still. Or maybe, maybe you haven't gotten those things and you're still seeking after them. Whatever the case may be, as we jump back into the gospel of John today, we're going to see a profoundly shocking story of Jesus. And the trouble is, is that for most of us who have been around the church for a long time, we've heard this story a number of times, and so it loses its sharpness because of repetition. Even if you haven't been around the church, you probably have a vague understanding that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. But Jesus washing the feet of his disciples was a complete paradigm shift for them, and it should be for us as well. The downward movement of Jesus is a template for us as we seek to follow him and see his kingdom come. So if you are able, would you stand with me? Um, as I read John 13, I'm going to read the first 20 verses. The words will be on the screen behind me if you'd like to follow along there, if you don't have a Bible with you. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a big basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If, the, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For truly I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, 
but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. City Church is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Four years ago, we began to study the gospel of John together, and then we, we took a break for Lent, and we began a series, uh, and that series was on the seven deadly sins. But four years ago, on the second Sunday of Lent, something strange happened, if you can remember. Uh, back to that time, it was March 15th, uh, 2020. Uh, and I decided uh, that in the middle of a global pandemic, it was probably not on tone to do a series on the seven deadly sins. We decided to sort of pivot away from that in that moment. Uh, but later that year, we picked up the rest of John 1 through 12. It's interesting that the Gospel of John divides pretty neatly in half because the first 12 chapters chronicle all of Jesus' life and teaching. And so as we went through that, we saw all of the things that Jesus said, all of the things that Jesus did. But starting in chapter 13, John narrows in. And so for the rest of the entire book of John, from chapter 13 on, it just looks at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. It is absolutely in-depth. And so the next three chapters are just going to be the discussion around the dinner table as Jesus gathered with his disciples. And so as we, as we get to this story, as we, we come into this moment, this is the night before Jesus was betrayed and killed. He's eating the meal that we now celebrate every week, the Last Supper. And so what we're going to do as we unfold this is we're going to look at that last words that Jesus had to say at that last meal during his last days. And as we begin to look at it, John takes great pain to make sure that we understand something. That going into this, going into this night and going into this moment, Jesus knows. Three times it says that Jesus knows in this text. Jesus knew that his hour had come. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hand. Jesus knew that it was Judas who was going to betray him. All of these things, Jesus knew. He knew how the next few moments were going to play out. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. He knew that all of the disciples beside John were going to flee. He knew that he would suffer alone on the cross. All of this. Jesus knows in this moment. And yet, in spite of this knowledge, or maybe because of it more likely, John tells us that Jesus loved them and loved us to the end. You see, as we come to this story, it's important for us to keep in mind that Jesus loves us to the end. He's going to be betrayed, denied, and abandoned by all of his closest friends, and yet he loves them to the end. He's never going to give up on those who are his. And that is as true for us as it was for Jesus and his disciples 2,000 years ago. He knows your sins and weaknesses. He knows your failures and your temptation. He knows what you don't want anyone else to know. And he loves you to the end. You can't out the grace of God because Jesus died for you knowing 
everything that would happen in your life. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Jesus does, and he already died for it. You don't know what your next five years, despite what your plans may be as you start the new year, you don't know what's actually going to come of that. Jesus does, and he loves you to the end. Jesus knows everything that you've done, everything that you've been through, and continues to stand and smile and welcome you because he loves you to the end, even knowing what you've done. And this is good news for those of us who live with a cloud of guilt and shame. For the things that we've done, the things that we've thought, we can take comfort from this. Jesus knows, and he loves us right through to the end. But it's not just that Jesus knows us and Jesus loves us. Knowing that all this would happen, he laid aside his clothes and during the meal, began to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, as I mentioned before, if you've been around church for a while, you have heard this story. You may even have been to a church that that practiced foot washing. That's not terribly uncommon. It's a little bit less common now than it is in, in older times. But Jesus, yeah, yeah, we've heard this before. He washed his disciples' feet. Neat. But, but, that blunts the impact of what's actually happening here. Our familiarity with this story uh, makes it not sink in. If you were a Jew or a Greek or a Roman, and somebody said, let me tell you the good news of God becoming human, you'd have gone, okay, Zeus did that from time to time. I've got a category for that. And you said, now, when he became human, one of the things that he did is that he washed his followers' feet. They would have been like, nope, hard stop, I'm out. That is, abs- that, that is unthinkable. It was unthinkable because it was the job of the lowest of the lows in society. Only certain categories of enslaved people were asked to do this. In fact, I read uh, one commentator said, and I couldn't find it in any other ones, so I'm not totally sure of this, but I trust this guy. Uh, one com- I don't want to put his name out there and put him on blast in case he's wrong, um, but said that in Judea, you couldn't even ask an enslaved Jewish person to wash the feet of other Jews. It had to be an enslaved Gentile person. That's, that's how lowly this was regarded. But Jesus absolutely is right here washing the feet of his disciples. He lays aside his dignity in order to love and show his disciples how much he loves them. Because for the average person, this would have been an incredibly humiliating act. And yet here we have the God of the universe, the one who spoke all things into existence, the one who knows where the storehouses of rain and snow are kept. That one takes off his clothes and washes the feet of a bunch of tax collectors, fishermen, and radicals. From the outset, This foot washing means that Jesus is a very different sort of Messiah than what people expected. And he's bringing in a very different sort of kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus is radically different from the way that we understand this world. And we see this through the washing of the feet that Jesus does here. If we're going to follow Jesus in his ways, it means that we are called to give up power, position, and influence in order to serve the least of these. 
The path of Jesus looks like the path of Henry Nouwen that we don't understand. The path of Jesus isn't always up and to the right. It's not constant improvement of our place in life. In fact, in some ways, it can often be the opposite. It's giving up power to serve others. It's giving up prestige to love those who are overlooked. It's giving up mass influence to see and to know those who are struggling. That's exactly what Jesus did by washing his disciples' feet. He set aside what was owed to him. The God of the universe is worthy of worship and exaltation, and yet here he is performing the work of the lowest caste of enslaved people. This is our Savior City Church. This is our God, beloved. He is a God who does not lay aside his deity, but lays aside his dignity in order to show his love for us. The path of Jesus is never the acquisition of power and influence. The path of Jesus is humility and service. And the more we order our lives around that idea, the more we order our lives around that fact, the more we are able to behold the mysterious truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus. And it should be hard to wrap our minds around the idea that the God of the universe came and did such a humble and servant action. And it was really hard for the disciples to wrap their minds around this. They didn't get it. And, and this is on brand for Peter. If you've read the stories of Jesus, he tries to stop Jesus from, from washing his feet. And, and our familiarity with this story not only blunts us to the idea of how shocking it would have been for Jesus to do this, but we also don't understand that we would have absolutely been Peter in this moment. You and I would have been saying the exact same things that Peter said. Jesus says, no, no, uh, Jesus, you don't wash my feet. I should be the one washing your feet. The way that Peter spoke emphasized the role reversal. You are going to wash my feet? And this kicks off an exchange between Jesus and Peter that is very Jesus and Peter. Uh, let me, let, think, it's, it's Peter, if you, if you have ever watched the TV show The Office, um, Peter is very much a Michael Scott-esque character where everybody on the outside looks at it and kind of cringes, but there's an internal logic to it that's kind of strangely true. That's often the way that Peter operates. Look at this story. Peter says, Jesus says to Peter, no, no, I'm going to wash your feet. You're not going to understand this right now, but later you'll understand. But then Peter thinks, oh no, now I get it. As soon as Jesus says, you're going to understand this later, and Peter says, no, I got it now. In fact, okay, if washing my feet is good, then washing my whole body is better. So why don't you go ahead and do that, Jesus? He's missing the point. Jesus and his reply to Peter isn't trying to get Peter to understand himself as a sinner better. Because that's what Peter's thinking. Peter's thinking, oh, he's washing me. I need to understand that I'm a sinner and I'm a big sinner. So you should wash my whole body, not just my feet, Jesus. But that's not the lesson that Jesus is teaching here. The lesson that Jesus is teaching here is to understand who Jesus is. He's not teaching Peter about Peter. He's teaching Peter about Jesus and that he is a servant. Jesus is showing what kind of savior he is. And more than that, Jesus is calling his shot because not only is he doing the work of an enslaved person, in a few short hours, he's going to die the death of an enslaved person who rebels against the empire. 
Uh, Calvin said this when he was talking about Peter's interaction here. In rejecting Jesus' service of him, Peter is rejecting Jesus' work of salvation on his behalf. Peter does not get that in the same way that Jesus loves and serves him by washing his feet, Jesus is going to love and serve him by dying the death that he deserves. He fundamentally misunderstands that the way of Jesus is always the way of service to others. He thinks it's a lesson about him, but it's a lesson about Jesus. And that's the same thing that's true for us, church. If you walk away with anything this morning, here's the big idea. We have a Savior who knows every single thing that we have done, everything that we will do, and yet he loves us to the end. He loves us to the point of a humiliating death. He loves us by serving us. And Jesus wants us to see that when we follow him, when we are shaped by him, we are following in that same path. He is our savior, our Lord, and our teacher. And if he bent low to wash the feet of his disciples, we should absolutely be doing the same for one another. Jesus' call to wash one another's feet is nothing less than an invitation for us to kill our egos in service of others. The world tells us, the world around us tells us that anything that makes us feel uncomfortable is bad. The world that we live in says that, that we need to be our true self and follow our hearts. Jesus is saying something absolutely contrary and radically different to that. The call of Jesus is to lay down our life in service of others. It isn't to live our best lives and, and be our best selves. It's to forget ourselves in the way that we love others. That's exactly what Jesus did. And Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. A messenger isn't greater than the person who sends the message. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, the path of service leads in the same direction that Jesus' life did. And that means that if we follow Jesus, here's some things we can expect. We can expect to be betrayed because Jesus was. We can expect to have our service to others turned into them using us. We can expect to be misunderstood by those seeking power. We can expect to suffer. We are not greater than our master. We are messengers who are no greater than the one who has sent us. This is the nature of the upside down kingdom of God. This is what we're signing up for when we say we're following Jesus. We're inviting pain. We are courting hurt and there's just no other way around it. If we're going to follow Jesus and have our lives shaped by his life, the same things that he went through, we are going to go through, which means that the way of Jesus isn't a path into the halls of power, but into the bowels of service. We never advance the kingdom of God through force or coercion. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. But this also means that the structure of honor and status that are so prevalent in our society around us should have no sway in the following of Jesus. We are all servants of one another without ranking or prestige. That's the way that Jesus says that we get towards blessing, not through power and influence, not through accumulating followers and building platforms. The way of Jesus must be the way of humble service of the Savior who steps into this world and then bends low to wash the feet of fishermen. He is a Savior who loves us 
even to the point of death on a cross. That's the Savior who we served. Not one who grasps at power and humiliates his foes, but rather one who sets aside his dignity to show love for betrayers and deniers. I mean, mean, think about that. Jesus washed 12 people's feet that night. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And so we have a Savior who who John makes it crystal clear that Jesus loves his enemy and does good to those who hurt him because we see him doing it to Judas in this passage. And not only that, Peter's there. And, And Peter is on a great big adventure and missing the point because let's not forget, Peter is strapped at the meal, at the last supper. Peter is carrying. Peter has a sword with him because after this, they go to the garden. And when Jesus is arrested, Peter starts swinging, trying to kill Romans. P- Peter is dead convinced that the revolution is about to begin and he's going to get to take the first shot, that he is Lexington and Concord, that he's going to be the one that takes the first shot. And he absolutely doesn't understand what Jesus is doing here. He absolutely doesn't understand what is happening. And yet Jesus washes his feet. Jesus says, if that you want a part in what I'm doing, you have to accept me for who I am. And I'm not going to be the savior who kills all the Romans. I'm going to be the savior who is killed by the Romans, who gives up his life as a ransom for many. If you're here this morning and you aren't following Jesus, if that's not your story, this passage is a beautiful illustration of who Jesus is and what he is offering us. If you've tried the world of power and influence and found it wanting, if you've tried the world of self-fulfillment and have not been fulfilled, Jesus invites you to a different way, to follow him on a different path, to follow a God who humiliates himself in order to love others. Jesus takes an enslaved person's actions before dying an enslaved person's death. He humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross by torture because he loves you, because he loves me, because he wants to see the world changed, not by power grabs or elections, but by faithful, loving service, especially to the least of these. Beloved, that is a beautiful Savior that I believe is worth following. That is a beautiful Savior that that I hope you can see is beautiful and worth following. So let's love and serve and wonder at the beauty of a Savior who washes the feet of his followers. Let's pray.